Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Mad Tales. This is James Knoll, and I am recording this on Monday, August 17th, in Studio X in beautiful Fredericksburg. Uh, I have a few updates for you regarding the Lilith film adaptation. I am hard at work composing the theme music, and I thought that you might want to listen to a few of the samples and maybe even tell me which one that you like the best. I've so far composed two different themes. One of them, Fredericksburg 1, has three variations, and the second one, the aptly named Fredericksburg 2, has two variations in one track. I'm going to put these at the end of this episode, so stick around for that if you want to listen to them in this podcast, or you can check out the show notes and go to the link for the SoundCloud page where all four variations are listed and you can comment on them there. So that's it. That's all I have today. So here is the Jaguar 4 Part 2. heat did not dissipate when the sun set. If anything, the lack of sunlight made it feel hotter, as if the dashed expectations for the day to cool down somehow increased the temperature. Wheeler trudged up the stairs to her apartment, feeling the sweat run down her skin under her shirt, and when she opened the door, a warm blast of air rushed out. Her window unit had totally died, and there was no point in contacting her landlady this late. She lived out of the city anyway and wouldn't respond until the next morning. So Wheeler took the two box fans out of the storage closet and put them in the windows. Then she reclined on her sofa, trying to relax without thinking about drinking. She read a romance novel cover to cover and took a shower. She lay in bed, letting the box fans stir a current over her skin. It was hot. Someone was cooking a late night meal on a grill. The smoke wafted into her window. She didn't think she'd be able to get to sleep in that kind of heat until it snuck up on her. The dead bodies smelled like cooked meat. They lay all around the base of a bombed out pyramid. Smoke poured from its interior. She couldn't tell if the bodies were human or not. The firestorm that killed them had twisted their bones into agonizing contortions. More choked the steps leading up the side. She knew she shouldn't go to it, but she couldn't help herself. She picked her way through the bodies. Suddenly she was inside, winding around the chunks of adobe and limestone. More bodies lay inside, equally charred. Whispers from above, ghostly faces with mouths sewn shut staring back at her with black hollow eyes. Before her sat a gutted man on a throne. Amber liquid bubbled out of his torso like molten gold. She watched as his belly gurgled more fluid, and then she was next to him, looking down into the cavity. The liquid wasn't flowing out. It was flowing back in, a thin trail siphoning up from the ground. His hand twitched, and he opened his eyes. The world turned upside down, and she found herself zooming through the floor. She landed in a cell far below. There were no windows, no doors, just an open space. A single torch lit the room. Despite the depth and emptiness, she found herself growing hot, the heat emanating from the limestone floor. Sweat trickled down her back. She felt the presence of the other before she saw it. It was standing in the corner, shrouded by flickering shadows. 
It breathed heavily, watching her. She crawled back as far as she could, stopping only when her back met the cell wall. Her heart thumped in her chest, and she wished she had her gun, a knife, anything, because the thing in the corner was angry, and it was her fault, and it wanted to hurt her, to make her pay. She closed her eyes and willed the thing away. It's just a dream, she whispered. It's just a dream. She whispered it over and over again, and all of a sudden the air grew cooler. The tension lifted. She breathed a sigh of relief and opened her eyes. The thing rushed her from the corner. A horrid old carcass with long, greasy hair and pasty white skin. It ran straight up to her face, screaming, The key is the key! The key is the key! Let me out! Let me out! Let me out! Wheeler sat up in bed, screaming. Her bed was drenched in sweat. What was that? She'd had bad dreams before, but none so vivid, so real. The brand on her shoulder flared up and she winced. It was burning, like a signal. And when she looked at it, ran her fingers over it, she swore she saw a flicker of amber run along a slick surface. She brushed her hair out of her eyes, trying to make sense of what was going on, and the carcass, the thing from the dream, swooped down from the corner of her room and got in her face again. What the fuck are you waiting for? Wheeler sat up in bed again, screaming again. She checked the corners of her room. Nothing there but cobwebs. She flopped back down, arms spread wide. The pain in her shoulder faded, and as it did, she slowly became aware of the heat. Had it gotten worse? There was no breeze. Crap. Her box fans had crapped out on her, too. Maybe it was the electricity. She needed a drink. God damn it, she needed a drink. Out on the street, Harvey's to the left. She'd thrown on her exercise clothes, tank top, running shorts, running shoes, totally intending to go for a walk. But the second she stepped out of the door to her building, she stopped. She fingered the pepper spray she clipped to her shorts, trying not to visualize the steps. The whine of the front door, the blast of air conditioning, the feel of the stool, the sound of ice in the tumbler. Stop it. Don't think about it. You don't need it. She was determined not to go in, despite having finally read the letter from the lab, despite that horrible dream, and despite the fact that she could actually taste the whiskey on her tongue. She wasn't going to do it. She wasn't going to wake up in an alley again. She couldn't do that to herself. She just couldn't. Wheeler took a deep breath, steeled her will, and walked slowly by the front door, taking purposeful strides. Left, right, left, right, all the way until she was one block away. Two, four, eight. And her heart rate was up and her breathing was heavy, but she was relieved. And all she wanted to think about was the next step, the next turn. The city was alive in the summer heat, families and friends hanging out on front steps, entire blocks buzzing and alive with people trying to escape their stuffy apartments and townhouses. Wheeler power walked through it all, intent only on tiring herself out. She did a figure eight around the block, waving at the people she knew, ignoring those she didn't. That quickly grew boring, so she expanded her circle, again and again, until she was out of her neighborhood entirely. From there, it was easy to make the decision to keep walking. She wasn't tired, her feet didn't hurt, the exercise felt good. The farther out she circled, the less people she passed. It grew quiet, for the city at least. The lights in the townhouses and row houses winked out, traffic dwindled to the occasional car, and then no cars. It wasn't until an hour had passed that she realized that she was in a part of the city that she didn't recognize which was odd because, after a lifetime of walking its streets, she thought she'd seen it all. Which was odd because, after a lifetime of walking its streets, she thought she'd seen it all. The houses were all dark, the stoops cracked and unkempt. She slowed her pace, taking care to look around. Wait, she had been there before, hadn't she? Her left arm started to ache, her bicep and shoulder. It was dull at first, then slowly built into a painful soreness, pinpointed on the brand on her shoulder. The pain peaked when she came to an old brownstone in the middle of the street, 
and she was going to push forward when something caught her attention and made her stop in her tracks. A triple spiral, flashing out at her from the front door. It seemed to blend into the wood itself, but when she started to walk again, it flared, fiery gold with cold yellow licks. It pulsed at her, called to her. There was a gate separating the stoop from the street. She unlatched it. The next thing she knew, her hand was on the doorknob. She wanted to knock, call out, but something told her not to, that it didn't matter. A familiar melody popped into her mind as she began to hum. Lyrics soon followed and, though she wasn't one to break into spontaneous songs, she couldn't help but recite the lyrics she knew went along with the tune. Singing in the sunshine, laughing in the rain, hitting on the moonshine, rocking in the grain. She hummed a few more bars and shook her head. Weird. The smell of rot hit her full in the face as soon as she walked in. Something had died there. She wasn't a rookie. She'd worked plenty of murder cases before, seen some pretty horrific things, and every time she went into a house that smelled that bad, horrific things were soon to follow. It was dark and hot, and the heat made the smell worse. She reeled. Quick flash of dizziness, an aural womp flowing through her head like a wave. The brand on her shoulder ached, and she had to lean up against the wall just outside of the vestibule to gather herself. Man, she said, holding her hand over her nose. She fumbled on the wall for the light switch, hoping the electricity worked, but knowing it probably wouldn't. Her fingers found the panel, two antique buttons, on and off. She clicked the top one and was happily surprised when the chandelier glowed to life overhead, illuminating the entire grand entry. This place. She knew it. She'd been there. She really had been there before. But when? Why? Who lived here? The stairway before her led up. To the right, a reception room. Before her, the hallway to the kitchen, and beyond that, the dining room. She crept down the hallway, trying to breathe only through her mouth. Pictures hung on the walls, dozens of them. First portraits in oval frames, all of them of a beautiful young woman wearing a brown dress and red belt. Her black hair was tucked up under her headdress, her face hidden behind a transparent veil. Then came more modern portraits of the same woman, the styles changing with the centuries. She'd grown older, more worn, but still beautiful. Always she stared out at Wheeler as if daring her to comment. Soon she came upon a tintype, and now the woman was significantly older. Gone was the beauty of her youth, replaced by a fleshy face and an ugly scowl. She was joined by an equally old and equally ugly man. This was followed by early black and white photographs. Children joined the couple, one, two, eight. The last picture looked like it had been taken in the turn of the last century, with the old man and woman dressed in stiffly formal clothes, standing on the top steps of the brownstone. Below them spread out a large, wide family, all of them bearing the same bold stare and serious expression, men, women, children alike. She stopped at the cusp of the kitchen. The meager light from the chandelier in the entry illuminated very little there. The corner of the counter, a few knives scattered about a worn wooden cutting board, the shells of rotting vegetables. The smell was worse here. The dining room lay beyond, dark and foreboding. She could barely make out the edge of a table in the dim light, and though she knew she should investigate, she didn't want to go any farther. She willed her legs forward, but they wouldn't move. Come on, cat, get it together. She pushed through to the dining room and tried the switch, and as soon as the light flooded the room, she wished she hadn't done it. The rotten smell that Wheeler knew all so well was coming from a hunk of meat sitting just inside the doorway, an arm of some kind, covered in thick black hair as sharp as porcupine needles. Flies buzzed around it, crawling through the hairs. She squatted down to have a closer look, using her pepper spray to poke around. The flies, disturbed by the motion, flew into her face. She brushed them away. Someone's been eating you, she said. She waved another fly away and lost her balance, and when her hands shot out and grabbed the dining room table behind her, images flashed into her head. 
a warty lip, a pyramid, a dagger. She was immediately dizzy again, and even though she wanted to get away from the rotting meat, she had to wait for it to pass. When it did, she stood up and inspected the table. It looked like it had been used for surgery, Civil War surgery. A serrated knife with a homemade handle sat next to what looked like a knitting needle with a hook on the end. A bowl of bloody water dotted with more flies, white rags stained red, and a wooden stamp with a bell as round as her shoulder and a metal pattern embedded in the surface. The triple spiral. She was dizzy again and sick. Sweat ran down her face. Images formed in her mind. Memories, too. But no matter how hard she tried to catch them, they fled. She leaned against the table a little too hard, and the bowl filled with bloody water fell off and crashed to the floor. A second later, something slammed hard above her, and she jumped. It sounded like someone dropped a bowling ball in the hardwood. Why hadn't she brought her gun? She wiped the sweat out of her eyes. A car honked on the street outside. Another noise from above, followed by thundering footsteps heading down the stairs. She had her pepper spray and the bloody knife on the table. Wheeler snatched it up. The footsteps pounded down, closer and closer. Should she run for the door? The stairs emptied out into the front of the house, and whoever or whatever was up there might catch her before she made it out. She gripped her weapons tighter, her eyes searching the ceiling. Bam, bam, bam! Closer and closer came the footsteps. Bam, bam, bam! Whoever or whatever it was should have almost been to the front of the house, but it seemed to be getting closer to her. She traced its progress down and suddenly realized there must have been another set of stairs, one that led to the back, a servant's stairway perhaps. The footsteps pounded right above her, now just on the other side of the wall. A man ran out of the gloom, head down, barreling straight ahead, completely unaware of her presence. Catherine bent at the knees and held the knife and pepper spray out in front of her, positioning herself so the table was between them. Hey! she yelled. The man looked up, surprised, and came to a stumbling halt. He was easily the strangest-looking creature she'd ever seen. He wore a wig and a top hat and pantaloons and stockings with the bottoms cut out and a leather bomber's jacket over a bare tattooed chest. The tattoos were tribal, patterns mostly, Celtic knots. The letter CBCK ringed his collarbone in black. His head was shaved but for a single side knot that draped over his shoulder, and his eyes were painted black with coal. In one hand, he held a cricket bat with sharp stone blades embedded in the side. He smiled at her. She saw that his teeth had been sharpened to points. Hey, he said, how's it going? Wheeler blinked. You speak English? Yeah, Adi speaks English. What else would Adi speak? I, I, I don't know. He eyed the knife. You gonna stick Adi with that? Maybe. He adjusted his grip on his weapon. You wanna make you a deal? Okay. He gestured at his chest and stomach. You don't stick Adi anywhere. He swept the bat to his right. You step aside. Wheeler calculated. This was a B&E. She was a cop. Even if she was off duty, she couldn't just let him go. Of course, this wasn't her house either. She licked her lips. Can't do that. CPD. The fuck's that mean? I'm a cop. He stared at her. Police? I know what a cop is. Are you Wheeler? Wheeler licked her lips. I arrest you before? Nobody arrests Adi. Adi's been having nightmares. That friggin' corpse screaming, Find the bone! Make the key! Wheeler! Detective! Wheeler! Detective! It's driving me up the wall. Wheeler felt the blood drain from her face. Adi can see. Wheeler's dream the same. Who is she? Oh, you know. You know who she is. Same bitch what gave you that. He pointed at her shoulder. Wheeler blinked a drop of sweat out of her eye. I, I can't let you go. Fuck, you can't let Adi go. Adi goes here, Adi goes there. Adi don't ask permission. Besides, seems like Wheeler don't live here neither. It doesn't matter. Sure it does. Wheeler's not supposed to be here. Adi's not supposed to be here. Simplest solution? 
after Adi gives what he's got? Wheeler and Adi, they both scram. Not going to happen. Put the bat down. Bat? What bat? Put the fucking bat down. He held up his weapon. What? You mean this? This ain't a bat. This is a sword. I don't care what you call it. Put it on the ground. All right, look. I can't take that old crone no more. On and on every night with this shit. So I got something for you. He reached into his jacket pocket and Wheeler squirted the pepper spray right in his face. He dropped the bat, his hands flying up to his eyes. What the fuck? He screamed. Wheeler hovered around him, still holding the knife and the pepper spray. Get down on the ground. Artie's trying to help. I'll hit you again. Artie bellowed and rushed her, arms swinging wildly. She pulled the trigger on the pepper spray again, but he was filled with adrenaline. Wheeler had seen this before. He wasn't going to stop. So she took a step back and kicked him square between the legs. Her toes hit something hard, and she felt them crack. Then he shoved her aside and ran through the kitchen, slamming in the furniture, swiping the pictures and portraits off the wall. Wheeler hit the table with a grunt, then limped after him. He broke through the vestibule and out the front door. By the time she made it to the street, he was already on the other side, stumbling up the stairs of an old abandoned townhouse. He hit the door, struggled with the knob, and fell inside. God damn it, Wheeler said, and hopped down the stairs. Thank you, everybody, for listening this week. Don't forget to check out LilithFilm.com, JamesKnoll.net forward slash BG, and you can support this show for as little as $1 on Patreon.com. It's Patreon.com forward slash Mad Tales. You guys rock. I'll see you next week. Day.